Welcome to the VBAC Link podcast. This is episode 194, and this is Julie, and I'm here with Megan today. And we have not as fun of an episode. Well, it's fun because it's fun because <laughs> we're going to do some FAQs. We're going to talk about questions that we get all the time. We had um, you guys submit questions on our social media pages, questions that we're going to be getting it through our email. And so we are so happy to answer your questions as usual, but we also have an announcement to make this not as fun. But before we do any of those things, then Megan has a review of the week for us. Yes, I do. And this is from Ashley. She says, this podcast is a gold mine of knowledge when it comes to VBACs. I have been binging these episodes ever since I got pregnant with my second I have learned so much and gained a lot of confidence on how to find a truly supportive provider. I have enjoyed the birth stories so much. I mostly listened on my commute and can also say these ladies are my car doulas. (laughs) That's fun. I, I have cried tears of happiness and or tears of pain and understanding during so many of these stories. No matter what happens in my birth in August, which I hope will be a feedback, this podcast has prepared me for it. P.S. I am now caught up on all the episodes and I'm kind of sad that I have to wait for just one weekly episode. <laughs> that is so hard. You know, I have listened to podcasts like that. I'm a big crime, crime, or yeah, like big crime podcast. And I'm like, I'll wait and wait and wait and then I'll catch up really fast. And I'm like, no, I need to listen anytime I want all day, every day if I need to. It's so hard to like wait for the next week's episode. So Ashley, you actually posted this in April. It doesn't say the year. It just says April 27th. So it was either this year and your VBAC is coming really soon or um, it was I last think if year. if you click the cell, it bring, double click the cell, it brings up the year. <gasps> 2021. So oh. Ashley, you I already had her baby. No, she's due in August. She's so due- it's 2022 right now. Oh, duh. <laughs> Is 2022. So Ashley, tell us if you like <laughs> how your birth went. <laughs> we need oh to. Goodness. Our admin Sarah has left and she was so good at putting all of the new reviews in our spreadsheet. And I don't think yes. either one of us has done that. For I have not. <laughs> I have not. So we need some more. So drop us some reviews. Go over to Apple Podcast or Google or wherever and drop us some reviews. We would love it and very much appreciate it. And Ashley, if you are still listening, we would love to know how things went and send you the congrats right now. You are tuned in to the VBAC Link Podcast with Julie Frankham and Megan Heaton, VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. (laughs) Okay, Miss Julie, I... you. I'm turning the time over to you. No, it's the time is for you. <laughs> you tell him. I don't want to tell him. 
I don't want to say it. I feel, I feel like I'm doing something wrong now. This is the first time I feel like I'm doing something wow. wrong. <laughs> oh, so we do, we have some news and the news is pretty crummy. In my opinion, Julie is leaving us. She is leaving us. She is no longer going to be with the VBAC link. Although let's be honest, I'll probably be bringing her back here and there. And, you know, will I ever really be gone? (laughs) Yeah. Will you ever really, really be gone? I don't know if I'm going to be able to allow that to happen, but that is the truth. So Julie, I don't know if you want to share a little bit, um, yeah. yeah, I don't know if you want to share a little bit. I, I, I'm just so sad. Oh my gosh. I, oh yeah. It's, it's sad, but it's, but it's the right choice. Um, for me, oh my gosh, I don't know like how much I should share or how much maybe it's appropriate to share, but I, first of all, like there's nothing wrong. Me and Megan are like 110% good. I love Megan. She loves me. At least I hope she still loves me. She hasn't told me otherwise. Um, <laughs> I adore you. And there's nothing um, wrong with the VBAC link or with any, there's no like controversy or no drama or anything like that. There's, it's just, there's things in my life that have lined up in a way that it doesn't make a lot of sense for me to continue with the VBAC link anymore, but I'm so grateful for Megan for keeping it forward. And I know she's going to do an amazing job doing that. And yeah, I mean, like there'll still be, I'll still be all, I'm still in half the course. I'm still in half the blogs. Like (laughs) there are going to be remnants of me. Um, but yeah, I guess we can just talk a little bit about, um, how I came to this decision. I think maybe a lot of people would appreciate some vulnerability and honesty here. And, um, maybe a lot of people just don't care very much and that's totally fine. But, um, if you want to know, then definitely stick around and then we're going to get to answering some feedback FAQs or yeah. Um, FAQs. I don't know if it's FAQ, but it's just, just QA. Yeah, yeah. That's the right letters. Yeah. So I don't know how much you really know about this, but, um, I had a pretty traumatic childhood a lot of um, trauma involved um, growing up. And I have recently been diagnosed with PTSD related to that childhood. Um, I know that a lot of people we can relate to. I think trauma is trauma, right? Whether it happens in your childhood, whether it happens in adulthood, whether it happens because of this thing or that thing or childbirth or whatever, like trauma is trauma and trauma responses are the same, no matter, you know, everyone's trauma stories are different, but trauma responses are the same. And so I'm at a pretty complicated, I don't know, pretty complicated drama in my childhood. And that happened for many, many, many years. And so I thought I was doing fine and like coping well through life. And I was because I was really good at stuffing things down and not feeling things and just chucking on and moving forward and pushing through. And that's, you know, was my identity. And then, and then I guess started having kids because kids bring up, oh my gosh, I don't know, like. I don't, you guys can probably all relate to this, but like all the emotions, all the feelings, all the hormones, just and everything like that, like having kids started like bringing up all of these things that I had been stuffing down and, and moving fine and doing comfortable, not addressing or ignoring, you know, through my entire life. And so slowly, but surely I started having a lot of, I don't know, mental health issues. I, I was 
doing pretty well, but like the depression, the anxiety came and um, my different triggers and stuff with PTSD started showing up. And so there came a point last year, the beginning of 2021, where I knew that I needed something had to change. Like something had to change. I was so anxious. I was so felt like just everything was just out of control and I was kind of spiraling. Like I was just not doing very good in life. And I knew that I needed to be better for myself and better for my kids and better for my husband and better in all my relationships, better with my partnership with Megan, better um, doula for my doula clients. And now it, you know, turned into better birth photographer. And so I started taking some serious charge of my mental health and I went into a, a pretty big program that took a lot of time, which is one of the reasons why actually we decided to take a break from the podcast is because I was investing so much time in my mental health and healing my past and healing the traumas that um, I had dealt with so long ago that um, we needed a break from the podcast. And so anyways, it's been a little while since things have settled down and I'm doing a lot better now, but I'm also kind of trying to figure out how to exist. I don't know if that's the right word, how to, (laughs) how to find the right balance between like Mm -hmm. me and while I'm still healing, like it's probably gonna be a lifelong thing, you know, and as, as all people do, we all have our, our things, we all have our issues to work on. Right. And I'm just trying to find my balance and my, what feels right to me. And I used to be the person that uh, gets a lot of things thrown at her and I get a lot of things done and I, and I knock stuff out and I accomplish so many things. And everybody says, Oh my gosh, I don't know how you do so much. Well, I'll tell you how I do so much. I had to do so much by completely ignoring my self-care by having a really unhealthy relationship with work and no boundaries with people and things. And I'm rediscovering how to find a balance in all of that things. And so I have a lot of priorities right now. First of all, of course, is my family, my husband and my kids and myself. My therapist tells me, gets mad at me all the time for not making myself a priority in my life, but (laughs) I'm working on that and that self-care, but also, you know, healing all those healing and making better and improving constantly those important eternal relationships to me, which is my family and myself. And also my business, which is now um, birth photography. So if you're in Utah, I know a girl that can take your birth pictures for you. <laughs> um, I'm re- re-identifying that and giving more to my individual clients as a birth photographer and doula. I still do um, doula as well, just a doula and photography together, which is called a doula talk. If you didn't know, doula talks are a thing now. It's pretty exciting. And I've really invested a lot of myself into those areas. So improving myself, my relationship and my other business, which has been very fulfilling. And unfortunately the VBAC link is the next priority. And I say, unfortunately, because, because after I put all my time and energy into these other priorities of mine, there's just not a lot left to give to the Mm -hmm. VBAC link. And it makes me sad to say that I'm still like, so sad. To say it, it's just, um, I, I can't have, I can't continue with the unhealthy relationship with everything that I have had going on in my life. And so I, this is me setting my healthy boundaries. It's taken a really long time. I think I started really considering it in like January and now it's July and 
it's taken a long time to really get comfortable with that. Cause if you back think it's just been such a big part of my identity and who I am as a birth worker for so long, mm-hmm. it's taken mm-hmm. a long time for me to get comfortable with the need to let it go so that I free up myself to put the energy into my higher priorities and the things that are matter more that are more significant in my life. I guess that is the best way to say it, but it's hard because the VBAC link has been so significant. Like my priorities are kids, husband, first photography and VBAC link, and then maybe myself, right? So mm-hmm. <laughs> probably not. That's not a good thing. Right. So I need to, yeah, I don't know. I feel like maybe I'm just rambling now, but, um, but I love the VBAC link. I love the VBAC link. We, I still will always be a founder of the VBAC link. I still always have so much love for Megan and the VBAC link and you, all of you on your journeys. I'll still listen to your stories, keep up with everything that's going on. Pop in probably for a podcast here and there with Megan. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's been a huge need for a pers- big personal shift in my life. And unfortunately, this is the thing. This I, don't is know. One of the, I don't know what to say. It's just, one of the, it's just one of the things that need to be eliminated and it sucks. It sucks. It totally really sucks. Really bad. But I just want you to know how proud of you I am mm-hmm. um, because I know it wasn't an easy choice or decision at all. I, I know that. I know that it was not, not easy and yeah, I'm not going to let you go too far. So yeah, we'll see each other. We'll be around. Yes. Yes. And I'm excited about, I'm excited that you're, you know, still doing photography and still being in the birth world a little bit and kind of finding your place there, but yeah, gonna miss you, but Mm -hmm. don't worry listeners. You'll still hear her once in a while. Cause I'll just, yeah. And shoot me messages. You can follow me on, I don't know. Can I do a shameless plug for my business? I can, you can check me out on Facebook or Instagram, just search for Julie Franklin birth and you'll yeah, find my find Instagram her. and Facebook and you can reach out to me. I would love to hear from you still. Um, mm-hmm. cause I, yeah, I won't be, yeah. As of now, like I am not involved anymore in the day-to-day operations and the messaging and emails and all the intricate things that we do and all the things. Yeah. We'll be sad. But yeah, yes. Okay. Me, come say hi. Yeah, I'd love to hear from you. <laughs> let her know. Let her know you're still with her. Yeah. Um. Okay. All right. Let's well, get past this sappy stuff. We I don't have, do well with it. <laughs> I, know. I know. I'm like, can we just not talk about this right now? Like, I'm not accepting this right now. Um. Oh. <laughs> um. We do. We have questions that some of our um followers have asked. And, you know, it's interesting. One of the questions that we saw come up is, is truly one of like the most common questions that we get. And well, I think, I think it's one of the most common things and it's due dates. I shouldn't say maybe it's one of the most common, but um, we had a question asking, about a provider who's wanting her to have her baby like immediately because they want to avoid a big baby and they want to know how far it's even okay to go past your due date. And gosh, Julie, I struggle with this one a little bit because these due dates, I feel like, don't you feel like it's ever since the arrive 
study? I feel like, yeah, gosh, you know, I feel like it is. I feel like it's more so there's more pressure around the due date. There always has been, but I feel like everyone wants to induce. Everyone wants to, you know, put a lot of pressure on you. And not everybody, but there's a lot of places, a lot of places I wouldn't have expected to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. It just, it just seems like this due date is such a thing. And, you know, with due dates, it's one of those things that you have to do what's best for you and follow your heart, but these providers are wanting to induce. And so I'm actually going to steer away from the most question we're going to, because there were two kind of questions in regards to this due date. And one was just like, how far past my due date? Am I okay to go? But, um, there was another one seeing like they want to I'm trying to look for it right here. I have a, I have something about what ACOG says in our file somewhere. I'm going to find it, it about due dates. Okay. Oh, it was stripping the membranes. It was stripping the membranes because, um, the doctor, and this is at 38 weeks, the doctor's wanting her to go into labor immediately, like ASAP, um, and wanting her baby to be smaller is big baby versus small. This is small part of VBAC stats. So I just want to talk about membrane sweeping and inducing and due dates. We're going to talk about three of those things all all at the (laughs) same time because they kind of all go in to play with one another, right? So stripping membranes, let's talk about stripping membranes. Sweeping a membrane or stripping a membrane is where your provider will go in and separate the membrane So go into the cervix and separate the membrane and kind of sweep around and it releases prostaglandins and hormones to help labor start. However, it doesn't always happen like that. It doesn't just start um, all the time. So I want to talk about what it looks like. And I don't know if there's actually any stats, Julie, Guys, this is going to be really hard because Julie is such a stat person. Like I'm going to be writing her all the time and be like, are there any stats that you know about this? But I don't know about the stats of like the actual percentage of what, if it's going to work or not, but this is just a good rule of thumb for considering membrane sweeping that a midwife a long time ago gave me. And so I'll tell you, and you can take it with what you want. So if the cervix is primed and I'm doing primed with quotations, right? So if the cervix is looking ready, and this is what the rule of thumb she gave me is two to three centimeters dilated, 70 to 80 plus percent of faced, and the cervix has come at least mid line. Meaning your cervix has not really posterior. It's not really hard to reach. It's kind of lining up more with the birth canal. It's kind of mid if those things are happening, a sweep is usually something or could be something that may be more effective and bring on labor with a sweep. However, if we're one centimeter dilated, 50% of face, the cervix is really far back there and just really not showing signs of readiness, the chances of a sweep working are a lot lower. And so at 38 weeks, a provider stripping membranes already at 38 weeks 
there is a good chance that the cervix is not going to be quote unquote primed or in an ideal position for a sweep to bring labor on. So some of the pros of sweeping membranes is it can completely like skip an induction because it can work. It can work and people can go into spontaneous labor with that. And it's, it's great. Right. Um, and we, we don't have to use Pitocin and do those types of things. However, if your cervix isn't super ready and, um, we do a sweep, it could cause something called prodromal labor. And Julie knows what prodromal labor is <laughs> really well. Cause she had, did you say weeks, Julie? Yeah. It's like three weeks. Yeah. Three weeks of prodromal labor, which is where your body is contracting and acting as though it is trying to go into labor, but it never really turns, uh, the curve and the point to actually begin labor. And that can leave for very, very exhausted mamas. And so when labor does kick in, we're tired and not wanting to labor, right? So it can bring on prodromal labor because it stimulates the cervix and the uterus just enough to like think that we're going to try, but because the body's not ready, it can just contract, contract, contract with no real end result of a baby for a long period of time. Um, so those are some cons, um, and pros. And then also the more sweeping, the more things we have in there, the more we're introducing potential bacteria, um, and things like that. So back in the day when I was expecting my midwife actually offered to sweep my membranes. And because I have a history of prom premature rupture of membranes with labor, not beginning, I was a little nervous because I was worried that it may weaken my sac or introduce bacteria because I had a provider a long time ago when I was preparing, say something like that is your membranes maybe may have been weakened and, and broke. So I don't know, there's not like any stats on that, that I know of necessarily, but I just didn't want anything extra introduced. So you just got to kind of take that into consideration as well, that, you know, you are putting bacteria in if, you know, introducing potential bacteria, if you're doing a membrane sweep, but it can be something to help avoid an induction. And if you've got a provider that is saying, Hey, we're going to schedule a C-section because we're not having a baby, then maybe that is going to be a good alternative. Julia, I've heard, I've heard your mouse clicking. Did you find the, the stat that you wanted? Mm. ACOG, um, ACOG's guidelines on post-term pregnancies and induction. And um, this is practice bulletin 146. It's called management of late-term and post-term pregnancies. And um, what I think is really interesting, and this opinion hasn't changed after the arrived trial. They actually Mm. reaffirmed their stance on post-term pregnancies um, after the arrived trial was published. So, mm-hmm. um, I, yeah, I really like it. First of all, there's, there's two things that I wanted to, um, just talk about in relation to induction of labor. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, they say at the very last page, it's like the very last section of the bulletin. They talk about 
TOLAC, vaginal birth after cesarean in management of post-term pregnancies. And they say right here that, um, actually I'll just read it. Well, I don't want to read all of it because it's really long. Okay. For women who desire TOLAC and who have not had a prior vaginal delivery, awaiting spontaneous labor as opposed to undergoing labor induction most likely avoids further additional increased risk of uterine rupture. Thus, TOLAC remains an option for women with post-term pregnancies who have not had a prior vaginal delivery, but these women should be counseled regarding their individual risks, such as failure of TOLAC and uterine rupture. So it says in their bulletin right there that these, basically these guidelines that they're talking about apply to women, even if they've had a prior cesarean delivery and desired TOLAC or feedback. And then the second one, or actually there's two other things I want to say. So there's a Cochrane review that they cite. Um, we talked talk, Cochrane review is a meta-analysis of several studies. Um, I love Cochrane reviews. They are my favorite type of studies and data because they're usually very, very reliable. They talk about the different outcomes between expedient management and um, induction of labor. Now, this is before the ARRIVE trial. And remember, the ARRIVE trial is just one single study. Cochrane reviews look at many, many studies and gather the outcomes of all of the studies. And so um, I love this because a lot of times you'll hear providers say, oh, your risk of stillbirth skyrockets after 41 weeks and there are doubles, your risk of stillbirth doubles. And we're ta- they're talking about relative risk versus absolute risk. And the risks for those is very, very, very small still. So we're talking about like 0.002% of stillbirth to 0.004% of stillbirth. And yes, that is technically doubles, but it's still a very small risk in knowing the numbers and, and assuming knowing what risks you are assuming is very important when you're making decisions for your birth. So, um, I like this because it says the number of inductions of labor needed to prevent one perinatal death or one stillbirth is 410. So we need 410 inductions to reduce or to eliminate one perinatal death. So it says there's no incidence in the rates of neonatal intensive care unit admission um, in this study. So your baby's not necessarily more likely to need NICU time for induction, but that was a review of 10 trials of over 6,000 infants. And so basically they summarize at the end, they say in summary, based on available evidence, induction of labor between 41 weeks and zero days and 42 weeks and zero days can be considered. And then induction of labor after 42 weeks and zero days is recommended given evidence of an increased risk of perinatal morbidity and mortality. So here ACOG itself says, looking at all the evidence, it's safe to go to 42 weeks of pregnancy before recommending routine induction of labor due to post-term pregnancies. But we have this sudden influx of (laughs) People rushing mm-hmm. to induce at 39 and 40 and even 41 weeks. And a lot of people, even my clients will say, oh yeah, you know, like I'm, I'm not comfortable inducing before 41 weeks, but if I get to 41 weeks, I'll probably induce. But all the evidence out there says that you may be safe to go on a little bit longer. But of course we always advocate for you using your intuition and taking all the evidence and making a plan that feels best for you and your baby. But yeah, that's what ACOG says. And it supplies. And I love how after they say like, sure. Yeah. Um, going between 42 and weeks and zero days and 42 weeks and six days, that's when we're going to recommend it. And then afterwards they go on and affirm and say, yeah, this is even for VBAC too. You know, mm-hmm. for people that are want to child labor after cesarean. Yeah. What's interesting is this um, follower, you know, 
it's at 38 weeks that the doctor is wanting to start inducing type processes. And, and I'm like, why at 38 weeks? Like, why are we starting so early? But it's because we're seeing this shift. And um, it seems like the 41 week mark is just going away. Like it, it's like 39 is 40 and 40 weeks is 41. And it's like 41 is non-existent. It's too far. I don't know. That's just kind of how it feels like to me. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I see that too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So another question is first child was breached. So C-section delivery took place currently pregnant with number two and my doctor moved up. Oh, my due date one week. Here's another, here's another due date. Um, versus last missed period calculation. Do oh, this is the due date that got me. Dip. Okay, due to baby size on ultrasound. From what you know, how much past my due date? Whichever one is still safe. That's the look. Reading the same question. So yeah, we kind of just talked about that. Okay, let's see. Um, I have had an emergency C-section as my baby had their cord wrapped around their neck three times and her it was dropping. I was not able to go into labor at all. So what is the likelihood of that happening again? I really want to be back, but worried as I never went into labor. Okay. So, Hey, I never went into labor. Yep. Uh, <laughs> exactly. And I never was able to have a chance to go into labor either. So just because, um, you didn't go into labor once does not necessarily mean you're never going to go into labor again. I'm a true believer that people's bodies don't just hold onto babies for life. Um, I do believe that we will all go into labor eventually. I'm sure there's those random cases somewhere out there that maybe babies, you know, were carried longer or something, but yeah, the likelihood of your body not going into labor is, is low. The likelihood or the chance of your body going into labor before let's see, before a provider may want you to go into labor. Does that make sense? What I'm asked, what I'm saying? Yeah. The like likelihood your provider might want you to go into labor before be- your body's going to be ready. Before to your labor. body's ready. Yes. Um, and that is definitely a chance that your body will not go into labor by the time your provider's wanting you to go into labor, but that doesn't mean you're not going to go into labor you're likely going to go into labor and it's just a matter of trusting and waiting for your body to get there. So yeah, that would be my answer to that. Julie, anything that you would add? Sorry, I forgot the actual question. <laughs> I just followed oh, along the, with you. The, the chances of her not going into labor because oh my gosh, yeah, she, she had a C-section. Baby's <clears throat> heart rate was dropping. It looks like the cord was wrapped around their neck. Mm. But she's wondering what the chances of them not going into labor. Ever. Yeah, no, I honestly I don't know if there's a statistic for that. I I I remember one case a really really old like long time ago where there was a woman that had. And like, oh my gosh, I, my, I don't even remember. I can't even speak educated about this. Like, like pregnant I, for a long time. She was like pregnant, past. but then the baby had passed around the 20 or 30th week and she just didn't mm. know. And it was there for like decades. Oh, oh, I think I remember hearing <laughs> remember a that story about that. Yeah. It was like one, there's like one time that that happened <laughs> that I, yeah. that I may, there might be more, but we're talking about one-offs here and the odds that your body is just not ever going to go into labor 
or highly unlikely. Now, this is also a little bit of speculation, but I have had a couple of my IVF moms who have had to get pregnant through IVF and needed a lot of help getting pregnant say that they're fertility providers and I am not an expert in fertility, anything, but they, I've had a couple of my clients that have gone through IVF say that, um, if their body has problems producing the hormones to get you pregnant, it might have problems with the hormones needed to go into labor. Yeah. And I, I've heard like IVF and things like that. And I might need like, like, might need Pitocin, might need a little nudge. Yeah, higher they, doses they're of suggested Pitocin. to be induced due to other things. But yeah. 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 But I mean, but even that is a little bit like, oh, maybe, like maybe, but um, but I don't know. I don't think there's anything conclusive to say one way or the other in that regard. If there mm-hmm. is, then definitely let us know or let Megan know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you can well, us- me too, I guess. Let, let the feedback link know, <laughs> and I will make sure that Julie knows. Yes. Uh, I want um, to be educated still. Yes. <laughs> okay. So another question is what roles do, um, does diastasis recti play when it comes to a successful VBAC? So if you don't know what a di- diastasis recti is. Diastasis? Diastasis. I always say diastasis, but diastasis. Wait, maybe. I don't know. I don't even know <laughs> I bet it's diastasis. That sounds might be right. I don't know. More medical. You you know what we're talking about, right? People like yeah, yes. Um, (laughs) that is the separation of the abdominal wall. Um, so I don't know muscles. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it necessarily plays any role specifically as far as it, like not or or having a V back. Have you ever heard anything like that? I mean, I have. I had a diastasis recti and I had a VBAC after two C-sections. It might, you might have, um, more like pain, like pelvic pain. Cause I, it might cause mm-hmm. like pelvic pain. You know, this is actually a really good question for Gina or our pelvic floor specialists. Um, I'm actually going to write that down we're going to have a pelvic floor specialist on, and I'm going to write that down and, um, ask that question. So come back to that. Yeah. Cause I actually don't know if it does. I don't believe it does. I don't think it does either. I haven't heard of anything like that. Um, yeah. to me, like the abdominal muscles and the uterine muscles are completely separate from each other, but it might have, it might impact like your pelvic alignment. You might need um, to take extra care to go to a chiropractor, see a pelvic floor specialist, make sure all your connective tissues are nice and loose, um, to go into labor like that. That's just kind of where my mind goes. Yeah. Yeah. Like it might cause more discomfort, but not necessarily make your chances go down of having a VBAC is what's in my head, but I will try and get that confirmed. Okay. Let's see. What other questions? I don't know if you're on it. Oh, what happens to cesarean scar tissue after you've had a VBAC? Does the intense stretching and shrinking help remove adhesions or does it re-adhere? So for me personally, uh, so I have uh, dense adhesions and they just continue to come. <laughs> like like mm-hmm. if I don't work, if I don't actively work out my adhesions and my scar, like I just continue to get adhesions and I, I can feel them. Like I, it's weird, but I can feel them. Um, so scar, once you've had a VBAC, I mean, I've had a VBAC and mine's still coming. So, um, 
I would say you still probably need to seek um, pelvic floor specialists or learn how to properly massage out your scar. I, it says, does the intense stretching and shrinking help remove adhesions? I mean, it could maybe stretch it out, but I don't think it removes. Yeah. Yeah. Those. Yeah. Eerie. Yeah. Yeah. But I, again, I'm going to, I'm going to throw that one into our public floor specialist episode. That's going to be coming up because I don't know the exact answer on that. I, I just don't know. But from my experience of being seen, the answer is no, it doesn't necessarily, um, shrink or remove adhesions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's a way to like fl- make them more flexible. Like, yeah, just everything you say. Yes. I'm just well, you can, echo you can everything. work them. Well, yeah, you yeah. work them out. Yeah. Make them more, right? yeah, more flexible and pliable, but there's no real way to get rid of them unless you go in and surgically remove them, but then surgically removing them causes more of them. So it's kind of a double-edged sword there. Yeah. It's kind of like, yeah, that's the hard thing is once you've got that scar there, you've just, you're, you've got it and adhesions come, um, with any type of scar. It doesn't just mean C-section either. It's really any type of scar. Okay. So it says my first pregnancy was last June and she was, and that baby was a C-section. I'm now expecting in November. The reason I needed an emergency C-section was because my son wouldn't come down to due to my pelvic being too small. When I spoke to my new OB about the VBAC, um, she told me I wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't be, can you hear my thoughts as I'm reading this? (laughs) Yes. Uh, uh, Okay. Um, When I spoke to my new OB about VBAC, she told me I wouldn't be able to candidate due to my pelvis being small and this, and that that size will never change. And I will have the same issue as I did with my second child. Just wanted to know if this is true. Um, no, No. (laughs) not true, not true. Um, (laughs) not true, not true, not true, not true. Um, I was also told my pelvis was too small and I would never get a baby out of it. It's just, yeah, I it's just four pound, 10 ounce C-section baby. And yes. my, my V-back baby was a eight pounds, nine ounces, but had a 99th percentile head. Like, yes. How oh, is my pelvis was, too small for a baby? There was a size. question about head. There was a question about head, uh, head size. Oh my gosh. I'm going to see if I can find it. Oh my gosh. I'm going to see if I can find this scrolling through. We need to get um, wrapping up too, actually. I know we do. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So no, no. No, you still have a chance. I'm so sorry. I'm going to be very blunt, but your provider is just not being supportive. It's, it's really, really, really hard to diagnose a small pelvis and it's really rare. So I would say it was more likely due to position or maybe just not enough time or something like that versus the fact that your pelvis was actually too small. And oh my gosh, there, there was a head question and I can't find it, but I want you to also know, cause I swear it was something about babies with big heads, not fitting out my baby. And Julie just mentioned it, but like my babies all have ginormous heads. Like my VBAC mm-hmm. baby with a 99 percentile so head. He, I know I always say that I'm like, he's cause they're brilliant, but like he still has a big head and a tiny body. It's kind of funny. He's like small, but like he came out just fine. No tearing, like 
totally fine. It's, it's a lot of the time position. So yep. we Mobile. have lots of questions that we still didn't get to, but don't worry. I'll have to come I back. I will be so doing time for an episode. More. Yes. I will be doing more um, of these and Julie is just going to have to come back. So and seriously, um, come say hi. I still love to talk to and connect to the people, especially if you're in Utah and local, um, come see I, the ICANN meetings, the ICANN of Utah County, follow my Instagram and Facebook pages at Julie Franklin birth. Like I still, I still am going to be a major feedback advocate and a big part of helping women just a little more locally here. Yes. I'll yes. Come say hi, I promise. Yes. Okay. Well, Julie, I don't know what it's going to be like without you. I really don't. It's going to be strange. I don't know what my life is going to be like either. I'm going to have, I don't know, spend more time with my kids, be actually able to enroll them in sports again. (laughs) Yeah. No, I'm not loving it. Not loving the thought of it, but I, I'm proud of you and I'm excited for you. And I want you to know just how much I love you. And I've enjoyed this journey with you. And I just hope that I can keep this afloat, um, without you. You will. I'm 110% confident in you. Mm-hmm. And you know, I always help you out if you need it. Well, thank you. Okay, okay, bye. Signing off. I just, I don't know, like, bye. Signing <laughs> I know what to say. Oh. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Tell us about your experience at thevbacklink.com slash share. For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julian Megan's bios, head over to thevbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC Link.